Might as well get this out of the way. I was wrong. I whiffed. Hopefully none of you bet your bankroll on the Sooners minus the points on Saturday. This feels a lot like last year's K-State game. Only difference is Oklahoma fortunately won this time out. OU was a 27-point favorite over the Wildcats last September, and I was so confident the Sooners would blow K-State out of the water. Smash cut to a block punt, a Deuce Vaughn touchdown, Oklahoma's offense not figuring it out when it mattered, and just like that, the Sooners not only didn't cover the massive 27-point spread, they lost to K-State straight up. Now again, we're not talking about a Sooners loss today. Although, when I watched those guys walk off Owen Field Saturday afternoon, it sure looked like they had lost the football game. That was a dejected football team. Lincoln Riley saying afterwards, quote, we almost let one get away that had no business happening, end quote. After I whiffed so hard literally one year ago against Kansas State, why on earth did I feel so confident that the Sooners would easily cover a 31.5-point spread in game one against Tulane? Well, it's because I bought in. I bought in way more than I ever have since Lincoln Riley has been Oklahoma's head coach. Every single thing coming out of that football program since the Cotton Bowl has been positive, with the exception of the off-the-field legal issues with players who are no longer with the program. And you know what? Maybe that stuff had or has more of an effect on this team than I ever thought was possible. Or maybe this Oklahoma football team just isn't as good as I've been led to believe. I think at minimum, that is the case right now. However, I've decided that I will give Lincoln Riley's bunch mostly the benefit of the doubt at this time. It's one game. The Sooners massively underperformed expectations, but... At least they won. Listen, guys, I'll give you a slight pass given all the weirdness surrounding that opener. Talking to you, Oklahoma. There was a hurricane. It was an unexpected home game. The stadium wasn't full. And to be honest, I haven't rewatched the game yet. So all of my thoughts are being formulated through what I saw through my camera lens from field level. But here's the thing, I don't need to rewatch the game to know that I should have been a lot more aware that Oklahoma laying 30 plus points in the Lincoln Riley era was not going to be a slam dunk bet. The Sooners are now four and six against the spread when favored by 30 or more since 2017. And when Oklahoma is favored by 20 to 29 points in a game, Oklahoma is five and seven against the spread. And just to hammer at home, since Riley's been the head coach, OU's lost to Iowa State as a 31-point favorite, lost at K-State as a 23-and-a-half-point favorite, and lost last year, again, to Kansas State, this time at home, as a 27-point favorite. We all remember those losses. But what about the close calls? 2017 at Baylor, Sooners favored by 28. OU hangs on to win by a touchdown. 2018 against Army. Sooners favored by 28 and a half. OU hangs on to win in overtime. Also in 2018. Did you know the Sooners were 21 and a half point favorites at home in Bedlam? Yeah, Oklahoma State was a two point conversion away from winning that game. And don't forget about when Kansas scored 40 on Oklahoma when the Sooners were favored by 35. Late in 2019, 
OU was an 18-and-a-half-point favorite at home against TCU, but the Sooners only won that game by four. And we all remember how last season's Baylor contest was a lot closer than we all expected. OU a 23-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. And maybe next time, the Sooners are big favorites. I'll think twice about exuding confidence in an easy Oklahoma victory. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. 56-yard attempt here with two seconds to go in the half. Burkett unloads, boy. This would have been good from 66. Oh, my goodness. It would appear Oklahoma still has a kicker. Year three of the Gabe Burkich era off to a smashing start, although we may need to talk briefly about what it means that he missed that late-game 31-yarder after bombing away on Tulane in the first three quarters. We'll see if I remember to bring this up later in the game. Later in the game. Later in the show. Uh, we're going to talk about Burkich at some point, I'm sure, so I will try to remember. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of West of Everest, Oklahoma. 1-0. But it doesn't really feel like it. We'll talk about that way too close game against Tulane. And at the end of the show, we'll take a look at three word reviews from the West of Everest Facebook page and from Twitter. And boy, we got a lot of them after that contest. Joining me, as always, is the man who was not duped into laying the points with the Sooners. A man who is now 1-0 against the spread when picking OU games in the 2021 season. None other than Grant Benson. Not super happy about it, though. There were plenty of times during that game where they absolutely could have covered the spread and kind of felt like they chose not to, which is be, which has turned into a trend in the Lincoln-Riley era, unfortunately. So I just want to repeat, yeah, uh, first of all, yeah, you're right. Uh, that was uh, the second half. It was, a, it, you know, to be as generic as possible, it was a tale of two halves uh, because what Oklahoma didn't score a touchdown in the second half and Tulane outscored them after halftime. It was, what, 37-14 to 14 at halftime, and then the final score was 40-35. to 35. After the game, Lincoln Riley talked about how, yep, uh, a team that was not mentally ready for the second half, they thought the game was over, blah, blah, blah. How many times are we going to hear that from a coach's mouth in the, in the Lincoln-Riley era? I'm just – it happens all the time, it seems like, and also Alex Grinch – brought up at, at one point you know hey we, we just got to focus more on playing a full 60 minutes and however the way he said it and it's it's like how many times are we going to hear Alex Grinch say that after games it's I get that every season zoo the players are are the same but they're different but I it's it starts to at, at some point it, it begins to sound like a broken record and it sounds like an excuse and it makes you think okay why isn't it being fixed granted I said in my opening take that at this time, I'm going to give Oklahoma mostly the benefit of the doubt grant, mainly because it's one game. It was a weird situation, and I'm going to give them one. And also, like I said in the opening take, I have not rewatched this thing. All of my thoughts on this podcast will be from Owen Field on the field through a camera lens. So I haven't seen the TV copy. I haven't seen, obviously, all 22. So what I will do in this podcast is I will kind of give you my thoughts, what it seemed like to me. And you can kind of fill in the blanks. You can provide your context from uh, you know, a better angle from it. I think you can see a lot more from the TV copy and, and, and things like that. So that's where we're going to begin. And uh, I didn't anticipate going through that much of a spiel at the beginning, but I did. And from there, I guess I'll let you go through a spiel if you want to. And then let's get into the start of the game, which it, it, like who had 
immediately Oklahoma turning the ball over and Tulane coming down to score relatively easily? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll start it by saying I'm really disappointed in how they played yesterday, kind of along with everybody else. Um, I'm, I am willing to give them the benefit of the doubt just because I know, based on my, you know, my over two decades of fandom, that having really, really not great openers is, is not super rare for OU. Um, now like, you know, pass doesn't mean everything's going to work out. Like for instance, I can think to myself in 2002, they were like tied with Tulsa at halftime. I think, uh, 2004, I would say this game actually reminded me the most of their 2004 opener against Bowling Green when it was that, it was that team that was returning everybody from 2003 and they had Adrian Peterson and I think they beat Bowling Green by like 12 or something like they just didn't look great. And that ended up being a pretty good Bowling Green team with a really good offense that had a good season in the MAC. I do remember that. Um, and then, uh, I mean, they barely beat UAB in 2006. Um, everyone remembers them losing to BYU. They barely beat Utah State in 2010 to open the season. Um, they struggled in 2013 with Louisiana Monroe, struggled in 2015 with Akron. They lost to Houston in 2016. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it kind of goes on and on. Um, so... A lot of those seasons turned out fine, except for 2005 and 2009. I think they actually came back and won the Big 12 title in all of those seasons outside of 2005 and 2009 that I mentioned. But still, it's 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 concerning of what we saw. In fact, I you know I think the most concerning thing to me is that it appeared to me again that Oklahoma is fielding a mentally weak team, um, a team that once they get kind of punched in the mouth, they struggle to 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 regain that edge. And that's what we saw in the second half. You could argue in the first half they got punched in the mouth early on and actually responded well, um, you know, outscoring them 37-7 to after, after Tulane scored the first touchdown. But the second half was just a total debacle. Um, and I've actually only watched about halfway through the third quarter is as far as I've gotten. So I haven't even gotten to the, the biggest debacle yet when everything sort of started to spiral out of control. Uh, but I'm kind of looking forward to, to, you know, getting into the postmortem of this. Uh, mostly just happy to to put this game in our rearview mirror. I, I'm hoping that this is the only time we talk about it in this game because it, it wasn't it was not a fun game to watch, really at all. Uh, so something just stood out to me briefly that you just said. You mentioned the past seasons, maybe a, a rough opener, and a lot of those seasons, except for I think you said '05 and '09, ended up with Oklahoma winning a Big Twelve title. The, obviously, the main difference, though, between that and we're looking to now is that a Big 12 title is is not the goal for this this team. I mean, the expectations for Oklahoma are higher than they have been in years. Opening up at number two in the nation, we legitimately are thinking not just playoff, but hey, maybe a playoff win for the first time ever in Oklahoma. So whenever you say, eh, you know, those seasons ended up okay with a Big 12 title, it's like. Yeah, if a, a Big Twelve time, and, and I know I, I know that you're not saying, oh yeah, that's obviously the goal this year because it, it's one of the goals. But uh, I just kind of clicked in my head as like, yeah, I mean, we get to the we get to the end of the season, Oklahoma's Big Twelve champions, but that's kind of all they have to hang their hat on. It's going to be a massive disappointment for this team, considering all the expectations they have right now. I mean, and I agree. I think that's one of the reasons why the it was so disappointing yesterday. We've kind of built up. The narrative in our heads of what this team is and it's just the, our very first look at them and they were very much not that we saw flashes of it 
but we're very much not, you know, very much not that. I think another big part of the disappointment is that we've just seen the core of this team play at a much higher level than than they did in that game against better competition. Um, and so unless, and, and I mean, unless Tulane is awesome and they go 11 and one, um, which, you know, I think Tulane's good. They're going to go to a bowl game. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, you're kind of left scratching your head. There's a lot of things there. Although I'm kind of, you know, I the whole take of uh, this sucks because the the expectations are a national championship. I just I don't see any utility in that. What's the point of of hanging on that? It's just it's sure it is what it is. Let's move on. Like it's at this point in time, it's more of just kind of like a whining thing to me, and more of a just like this is what it is. Accept it. Let's talk about it. Uh, like okay, yeah, that's fair. Like a lot of yeah, that's fair. There's it's. The goals for the team are not off the table at all. We're the only people who are going to remember this game in two weeks. If OU comes out and looks impressive the next two weeks, we're the only people who are going to remember it. Um, the ver- you know, obviously, the first returns on what we hope is a national title season are not great, and it doesn't it doesn't really look like they're that team. Um, but also at the same time, Alabama was the only team that looked like that team in Week One this the, you know this year. And what else is new? So you know, I yeah. I, no, you know, that, that's fair. His, history is not written yet. Let's this happened. Let's move on from this from now on. I, I don't. Yeah, the whole the whole expectations thing. I just it's to me it's kind of a low com denom take at this point in time. Let's let's just talk about the game. Okay, uh, it, fair. Uh, you, I I think yeah, you're right about that. Uh, for some reason that clicked in my head. Another thing though that clicked with me. And I think you're right. You mentioned that this shows it, it looks like this is a, a mentally weak Oklahoma football team. And that's not just you saying that. Lincoln Riley said it after the game. He said, I think it all starts in your mind. It's mentality. He said, clearly, the game exposed us and exposed our mentality. If we want to be the team we think we can be, we've got a lot of work to do in that regard. Uh, I I can't pull any examples from the past, but it, it seems like we've heard that before. That, that, that's where it gets frustrating, man. That's that? head coach. That's on you, man. One hundred percent on you. Uh, you know, I and and he he took a lot of the blame. He did, but he he's taken a lot of the blame before. Uh, that's what he does. But it's like, man, it's week one. You've had the entire off season. Every like I said in the, my opening take, Grant. It's everything coming out of this program, with the exception of the the crazy legal stuff where all the guys are off the team now. Everything said, all the focus, ever since the Cotton Bowl, everyone just seemed dialed in, and it just did not show up after halftime on Saturday. And Riley said, yeah, I, I, I think our, our guys thought the game was over. <laughs> it's like, man, I... I so okay, that means, like, I, that, okay, that, that concerns me. Because that, like, concerns me. But, like, is he not aware of what's happened in his program the last three or so years, three or so seasons? Like, is he not aware that under his watch they've blown a lot of big leads? Like, how is that yeah, not I, How is that not a focus in practice? How is that not? And if it is, man, that says a lot of, that's that's even worse. Um, I don't know. I, like, the one of the things that disappointed me is that once Tulane kind of established what their game plan was, they didn't really come off of it that much. A lot of things didn't change for what they were trying to do. They were, they were trying to protect long enough to get crossing routes open. That's what, that was their passing game yesterday. And OU didn't really adjust at all, uh, at least not that I've seen and what I've watched. And so that's, that's concerning. Uh, there's a lot of concerning things. And I, like I, was Ronnie Perkins that important to the defense last year? Like, I mean, was it? 
because I, I like the production that he had is definitely replaceable with the bodies that they have there. But was he that important? I don't know. Well, and that's an example of something I can't really comment on since, again, I haven't watched the game. I, I just saw everything through a camera lens, which I'm focused in on each play. It's just it's tough to really go player to player. Um, but uh, it's more on the mentality stuff. I mean, John Hoover asked him if, hey, like, were you surprised that they were not mentally prepared? And Riley said that, you know, he's disappointed that they didn't finish the game. But he also does strongly believe in the people in that locker room. Uh, and there's something good in that locker room but there's of course a lot of work left to do uh and a lot of work left to do to get it out of them and he just said that each moment is a teachable moment do we learn the lesson and then he said i think you'll see us respond we'll see what happens and you know what uh he's probably right he's probably right they're they're gonna they're probably gonna be fine after this game um like i said in those in those in those kind of disastrous seasons where the opener was bad, they lost those games. In the good seasons that they had, you know, they won those close games. So, um, but still at the same time, it's it's just it's it's not great. It, it isn't it isn't great at all. Um, I it's just it's really bad that this team looked exactly like they did at the beginning of last season, and I just don't think that there's any excuse for that whatsoever, like at all. Uh, all right, let's dive into the game, and I don't know if we're going to just focus in on the offense, talk all about the offense, and then switch over to the defense, or if we're just going to go chronologically. It'll be organic, but I do want to start logically with the very beginning of the game, and on the second pass attempt of the contest, Spencer Rattler throws an interception, and I, I, again, I saw this all through my camera lens. Whenever the ball came down, it was picked off, and in my head I was like, oh, okay, like, I don't know if that was a bad decision. I don't know if that was just a great play. For the record, Lincoln Riley said that both of Rattler's picks were just really great individual defensive plays. Uh, and then Tulane gets the football. And, you know, my, my thought was, oh, that sucks. But, all right, now we get to see the Oklahoma defense relatively quickly here. Let's see what they got. And Tulane, I mean, through my camera lens, goes down the field and scores relatively easily. And, and it wasn't just the first drive for Tulane. They, their first two possessions with the football, they go down and score. So uh, my first thought was, and I think I tweeted this out, during the game again uh, to me it just seemed like man uh, two lanes new offensive coordinator chip long must seem to know what he's doing because this offense is humming right along grant so early on in this game let's start with the, the two lane offense against the oklahoma defense what was going on in those first possessions in your perspective well first of all their their offense looks quite a bit different than it did last season um, so it's it's very likely that they had they had looks out there that oh you had not had not seen on tape unless they were watching some old Notre Dame stuff. Um, but yeah, Tulane's offense did not employ anywhere near as much pre-snap motion uh, or kind of the formation variability that they showed yesterday. They just didn't. Um, having that been said, the stuff that they run, that, that, that they ran from those plays, the concepts of them were all pretty much exactly the same. They were trying to get OU's linebackers caught up in muck over the middle of the field, which worked extremely well. It worked really, really well. Um, they ran crossing routes after crossing route after crossing route. And if they just got two seconds to protect, which they were able to do pretty regularly, they were able to complete a lot of these passes. And they were in, thir- they were in third and fourth and medium so much in this game. I don't know if that, if that came out to you a lot while watching it. But when, when they were in third and fourth and long, they, they did not do well. They were not successful. Um, 
which most teams don't do well in those situations, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, but yeah, no, it, 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 it did seem like they were in third and manageable a lot of the time. Yeah, and so I, I just let you know, uh, halfway through the third quarter where I am, Tulane had been in third or fourth and long four times, and three of those four times there was a sack or TFL. Um, and the other time was just a, was, uh, they just, they tackled the guy short of the, you know, short of the line and they had to punt. So, um, <laughs> and to like, be clear, you, you have not only you watch the game live, you're, you've already rewatched a, a good portion of the game. And so that's, that's your perspective at this point. Yes. And I, yes. I have no perspective like that. And so, and so I'm sorry, I, I, I kind of did a, a pretty general thing, sort of top down overlook of the entire game. Uh, back to just kind of the very first play. Um, I, I want to highlight the very first play because I just thought it was stupid. Uh, Tulane's first play. I thought it was dumb. Um, it was OU was in, was in straight man coverage in, in the secondary. Uh, Billy Bowman was in press man on the slot against, uh, I don't have the guy's name here. What is it? Uh, guy's name is <laughs> a genio Booker. I think they, they called him YG Booker on the, uh, on the broadcast, and it was a slot fade. It was a perfect throw, an NFL throw, and it was an elite NFL catch, body adjustment and catch by YG Booker. And it just upsets me, one, because it was really good coverage by Billy Bowman, and two, YG Booker had one catch for minus three yards last season, and he's a running back. So what, like, that is, like, hats off. Kind of set the tone. It, hats it set off the tone for part of the game, right? Yeah, hats hats off. off. Like, I mean, I'm saying like that was indefensible. That play was indefensible. And you're right. It kind of just set the tone for it. And it, it bugs me. And it bugs me throughout the entire game that pretty much all of Tulane's skill position players that made an impact in this game were were non-factors in 2020. Complete non-factors. They did not they did not factor into the team's offensive success really whatsoever last season. Which is crazy and annoying, and just to add to your point, because Tulane's offense returned so many starters Everyone. from 2020. They lost yeah. one starter on the offensive line. Everyone was back. All six of their pass catchers were back. All six of them, and their two best ones didn't even have a catch in the game. That's- Deuce Watts and Jaquan Jackson. The entire game, I was wondering, like, why am I not hearing those names? Because <laughs> they looked good on tape last year. Uh, Deuce Watts had a two-point conversion. That was it. I don't think Jaquan Jackson had a touch. And then the running back, Cameron Carroll, had, had a touchdown, but he was, he was okay, right? I mean, he had like 30 yards or something like that. But yeah, I mean, they had all this production from all these names that we were not anticipating. Uh, and, and the only guy that stood out that we were expecting, obviously, is the quarterback, Michael Pratt, who, from my camera lens, he looked like he had a pretty good game. Yeah, I, you know, Michael Pratt's good. Uh, that was one of my, my takeaways from this. I mean, he's going to... I think he's going to be pretty successful this season against against a lot of teams. Um, his poise, obviously, I, I think is his his poise and his accuracy. He's a really accurate passer. Um, a lot of poise. He was he was beat up pretty bad in this game. OU hit him brutally a lot in this game. He got hit a ton, and he continued to get up. And that's what I said. That was the thing that shined the most watching him in his games last season was the poise that that is what you saw because he got hit a lot last year too and he just he kept coming back and um the 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 reason why I highlight the whole them uh, guys who who weren't a factor last season doing most of the damage for Tulane I look at that and it tells me that, that I think that's enough that's a lot of evidence to suggest that this was a fluke from Tulane 
that it re- that they're not going to be able to to replicate this. Um, and that that worries me a little bit. That worries me because in those games, like like in two thousand six and two thousand and ten, like those games against UAB and or in 20, 2004 against Bowling Green and then Utah State. Uh, I remember UAB and Utah State were both bad teams. Like they like we thought. I remember after those games thinking, oh, well, you know, they'll probably have good seasons. But no, they won like three or four games. And I, I hope that's not the case in this game. Um, Tulane, to me, looked like a pretty good team. But, I, I mean, I was I was pretty, pretty surprised that neither, uh, you know, was it Jaquan Jackson, Jaquindon Jackson? Or Jaquan. Or Jaquan Jackson or Deuce Watts, neither had a catch in the game. That... I don't know what to do with that. Those were t- <laughs> those guys were by far their best players on offense last season. Um, so it's just, just kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I guess devil's advocate or more of like a rosy scenario of that is not necessarily that it's a fluke, but it's that maybe Chip Long is a really good offensive coordinator and he was able to discover and unlock a lot of these players that that didn't do a whole lot last year in the previous offense that actually can be contributors this year. And it's up to Deuce Watts and Jaquan Jackson to kind of get, get with it. But then again, they're super talented players. Why wouldn't they be the main guys that get the ball? Unless you could tell me, I don't, I don't know if you know what I mean. Were they on the field? Like where was Oklahoma just covering them and they were, they weren't open all game and Michael Pratt was throwing to other players because uh, they were open because Oklahoma was giving so much attention to Deuce and Jaquan Jackson. Like how, I need to comment I, on I that. I need to, I need, yeah, no, I, I need to go back and, and, and look at that more. What I will say is that um, Tulane very, very rarely hit the outside receivers. They did a vast majority of their damage from the inline tight end position uh, and the slot. So it was, um, yeah, I, I, I honestly, uh, halfway through the third quarter, I did not notice a lot of, of damage that they, that, that they did on the outside receivers. It was all over the middle of the field if it was. Uh, okay, so what are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking Tulane offense. Uh, a couple other other thoughts from uh, Tulane's offense, Oklahoma's defense. So I, I wanted 10 TFLs from OU. They got nine. So they were close, but they weren't there. I think they had four or five sacks. You wanted five sacks. So, you know, we did see flat, and that's kind of the theme, right? There was flashes from the defense, but then there was also some down stuff. And, you know, beginning of the game, first two drives for Tulane were not good. And then it was Tulane's third drive. I, be- I believe the first play of Tulane's third drive, Josh Ellison got a, either a TFL or a stop for no gain. And for the first time on the afternoon, Tulane was at second down and long. And I think things started kind of going a little bit better for Oklahoma. And then it got into the second quarter whenever things going, went really well, really well. And they got those, started getting those takeaways, those, those turnovers. And Oklahoma was able to balloon its lead up to 37-14. to 14. So in that stretch in your rewatch, whenever the defense started playing pretty well, when did it start? Was it midway through the first quarter into the second quarter? Uh, what were your notes? What were your thoughts whenever the defense actually started playing a little bit better? They started playing well right right after the the Pratt missed like handoff center exchange that Benito recovered. It was about four or five straight possessions where it was obvious that OU's defense was starting to lean on Tulane quite a bit with their athleticism and their size. And uh, it was... And I mean, stop me if you've heard this before, but the main the main culprit in those was the defensive line. They were getting a ton of pressure. They did not have a lot of time to throw, and they were in third and long. And that like third and long totally took Tulane out of their um, out of their game plan because Tulane could not protect that long. 
when they were in that. And, and that was the case the entire game. And that showed up a lot when we watched them last season too. I noticed that pretty much all of their plays were one read quick hitters in the short to intermediate range. And that's exactly what this was because they could not protect long enough. Um, and so like, I mean, on the field, Lee, I mean, was it, they almost got home so many times before yeah. Pratt was able, and that just, it's, it's frustrating, but they were able to do it. Um, and uh, they were getting home a lot more during those four or five consecutive drives because they were, because Tulane was having much less success on first and second down. Um, and that's like, if you go back and rewatch it, that's where a lot of it comes out. And I know like statistically you can look at it and it kind of looks like, OU had a pretty good game defending the run statistically. They did not. They did not defend the run well in this game at all. There were far too many instances uh, where Tulane was behind the chains and they were able to break off an eight or nine, ten yard chunk run. And there were also just way too many first and tens and then second and sixes and then third and threes. Far too many of them. Um, and it just, it, it really, really put Tulane exactly where they wanted to be to execute their third down offense, which go look at the, they, they executed very well. Um, and on fourth down, too. They did a good job on fourth down because it was all, in short, third and fourth and medium. And, and that's, I made the comment last week about Alex Grinch because he talked before the game. And a lot of things we've heard from Alex Grinch since the beginning of fall camp is just stuff we already know. There's a lot of, I mean, he's very long-winded. He goes into details, but it's just, it's always kind of been, uh, not always, but since fall camp, he said things that we already know, not really giving us any new information. And I was thinking, we need a game. We finally need a game so we can talk about something else. Point being, one of the things that he always hits on when he's talking about Oklahoma's defense is success on early downs. Early down success, get him behind the chains and make it tough on him on third down. And so the fact that Oklahoma wasn't able to do that consistently on Saturday shows that that's one of the keys for Alex Grinch along with takeaways. And I'm sure that's one of the keys, if not the main key for most defensive coordinators because everybody wants – to do well on first, second down, so then it puts teams in tough situations on third down. Uh, but just listening to you and describe it, that is the reason, the biggest reason probably why Tulane was able to have so much success because Oklahoma could not get them behind the chains on the early downs. And so the question is, how does Oklahoma fix that? Why was that? Is it, uh, you mentioned the run defense wasn't as great in certain situations, even though the stats say it was. Were they picking up yardage on running the ball early in downs, to me, it didn't seem like it. It seemed like they were hitting quick passes, getting a couple yards here and there, making it to where Oklahoma's defensive line couldn't get to Pratt, which is obviously if you have a really good defensive line as an offensive coordinator, the game plan is getting the ball out quick. That's that's to be expected. And Oklahoma should also expect that as a defense. So is that what you saw? It was two lane on first down, second down, quick passes, screen, uh, not necessarily screens, but just like little quick uh, throwing it over to the running back on the edge, getting it out to receivers. So they would not be in second down and 11. They would not be in second and 10 and third and nine. They took what OU gave them. Okay. They took what they gave so, them, and OU's defense ta tackled terribly. They really tackled poorly. Like, it sucks. It's, it really sucks coming out of a game like this and thinking that Tulane's defense is, is, is a better tackling defense than OU because they definitely were in this game. Um, that's concerning. Like I, I don't, and and, and, and again, and again, these were against people uh, for Tulane who have not been primary players at the division one college football level. All of these guys broke out basically for the first time in their careers in this game. Hmm. And the well, guys, the, the guys, the guys who had all of their production last season, uh, 
Jackson and, and, and Watts but each had 600 yards last season. Cameron Carroll had over 700, 700 yards rushing in this game. All three of those guys didn't do anything in this game. Carroll had the one touchdown, but he touched the ball like six times. Like it wasn't even... It's a really frustrating game. It makes... It's... it's I can't look at it, look at it any other way than that the, it's the coaching staff's fault. They weren't prepared to play Tulane. Like they weren't. And maybe hats off to Tulane, but... Gosh, man, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Well, uh, my antenna went up a little bit last week when Pat Fields said that they, you know, since the offensive coordinator was new this year, there was just the bowl game that he was there, and so there wasn't a whole lot that they watched, or there, there wasn't. I can't remember his actual quote, so I, I don't want to throw Pat Fields under the bus. But the gist I got was there wasn't, you know, your traditional prep for this Tulane team that maybe you would for week one looking back at last season because the offensive coordinator is different and it, it didn't see it, it almost came off to me as let's like you hear this from a lot of coaches in, in football and maybe not just football but other sports but more more in football than I would like to hear to be honest with you it came off as this and this is my opinion this is the the vibe I got from Pat Fields is if we just focus on ourselves and doing what we know we need to do and playing up to you know the speed we need to then you know we'll be good whereas now as you get into more of the season because Alex Grinch has referenced are these guys ready to, to prep for games are they ready to prepare week in and week out for certain opponents and as the season goes on there's more tape and more film I suppose that's uh, for lack of a better term easier to do whenever there's more recent tape on a team because this Tulane team did not have recent tape with a new offense but anyways again my, my antenna was kind of up of like eh, I mean I don't like that sound. I mean, if they're not watching as much on Tulane because the offensive coordinator last year was different, what are they watching on Tulane? How are they prepping for this team? Or are they just thinking, we'll come out, we'll run our stuff, and we'll adjust to what Tulane does to us? Uh, I, don't, I mean, I was kind of worried about it, but not that worried because my expectations for this team are very high. I think the defense is going to be very good, and I thought they'd be okay. Now that the game has been played, and it obviously was not okay. And Oklahoma gave up a lot of points and yards of Tulane after halftime specifically. Then it, it makes it to where we go back and, and we highlight statements like that from a player talking about how they prep for the game. And it makes you wonder, was this going to continue into the regular season? I don't know. Or not into the regular season, but as the season goes on. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I just I'm just saying it's not. It. That wouldn't be the first time in football history that an opposing team has come out with a lot of different looks than what you saw. That's not the first time that's ever happened. Um, I think the concerning part about it is that at OU, you should be able to man-to-man beat Tulane and just be better than them play-to-play. That's where it's concerning. Um, that's, where, that's where I hate seeing just all of the easy plays that they were just allowing. They just like, here, take it. Um, and that's, that is a consistent theme just over the last handful of seasons, you can turn on their tape, and OU just allows far too many easy throws. Go turn on that Georgia and Clemson game last night. Georgia wasn't allowing any of that crap. They were in their face, making sure that they had no room to breathe the entire time. Now, like obviously at this point in time, it's it's silly to, to compare this defense to Georgia's, but that's like what it takes. You, that's what you have to do. You have to take away space, and OU was not doing that in this game. And it makes me, it, it makes me, one, you know, hey, I, 
I honestly don't think they're going to see much many quarterbacks this year that are better than Michael Pratt. He's definitely one of the best quarterbacks that they're going to face this season. Um, but that's still not good. It's not good that he was able to kind of do what he wanted to do in the game. Um, yeah. They got to they got to get so much better. They have to get so much better, and it needs to start with one when they're getting beat over and over again in a game. They need to make adjustments. They did not do that in this game. It was not easy. It was not hard to see that Tulane wanted to to run crossing routes the entire game to muck up the middle of the field and get people open. That's what they did the entire game. Now I'm not a, I'm not a secondary coach. I'm not an expert on the matter at all. But there has to be adjustments that you can make, especially when you know that they do the exact same thing on passing downs. Every single time. Well, the, there has to be an adjustment you can make, right? Yeah, off the top of my head, you gotta you can't play as much man. You gotta play more of a zone, or I mean, have situations where, yeah, like more of a zone where if a guy crosses into your zone, then you see them cross up. Um, you're not, you know, a man's not following them, and then another guy in that zone comes up. I'm not explaining this very well, but just for example, I was watching a little bit of the game. And late in the second quarter, when Oklahoma was trying to get into more field goal range, there was a moment where Tulane, it, they're obviously playing some sort of a zone. It seemed very Iowa State-ish, where uh, Rattler dumped it off to Austin Stogner, who was running a crossing route. And back on the other end of the play, I think Eric Gray was running across the other way. And Tulane was in a zone, and they had a guy right there to tackle Stogner immediately. And, and it's almost like Rattler hung him out to dry. So it seemed like Tulane implemented that type of a defense at times, I'll, I'll ask you when we start talking about the other side of the football. But that's one of the things that I'm interested to see when I rewatch it is, is what does Oklahoma's defense look like? And you mentioned they didn't really adjust. And honestly, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't recall Oklahoma's defense over the years since Grinch has been there, and this is year three, doing a whole lot of drastic in-game adjustments for stuff. I mean, the main one that comes to mind that you throw it out because it was such a debacle was the LSU game. I mean, Oklahoma kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. And LSU knew exactly what Oklahoma was going to do in that game, which <laughs> was lethal because LSU's offense was maybe the best ever in college football. And Oklahoma was down starters on defense. And yet Oklahoma just did what they always do on defense. And they kept doing it and they kept getting torched and nothing changed in that game. They, and I remember leaving that game yeah it was embarrassing Oklahoma was down starters but also it didn't really seem like they were put in position defensively throughout the game to to play as well as they could have given the situation they were in losing all those starters uh you know you get all those weeks to prepare maybe you try to do your best to implement a hey keep everything in front of you let's make this LSU team beat you on 11 12 13 14 play drives because we play the super aggressive defense where we're playing a lot of man and bringing our safeties up to play man-to-man -man against Justin Jefferson and, uh, geez, I'm, I'm the guy that's playing with the Bengals now, uh, Jamar Chase. Chase. You know, uh, I mean, that, it's not going to end well for us whenever Joe Burrow can put the ball wherever he wants. So that's, I mean, that's the first thing I think of. Uh, and it sounds like I, when I watch back this game, I'm going to see maybe lack of adjustments as well. Uh, um, and I, I keep going back to this too, and just like, you're the guy who you know, you guys you know a lot more about defensive back play than I do, but um, and I haven't seen a lot of the second half, but in the first half, I just I kept seeing it over again, uh, the corners and their defensive backs shading shading the receivers to the outside, just allowing a free release to the inside, and I I listen. I, I totally understand that if you're going to shade someone to the inside, the opponent can make adjustments too. But I have to question, 
if they're going to be doing the same thing over and over again, and it's third and medium, on that play, how do you not just be like, okay, I'm going to shade him to the inside for this play just to take away the one thing that's been working for them over and over again, and I'm going to force them to, to at least do something else. Um, and th- I know this is something that we've talked about with the defensive backs over the last three seasons that has frustrated us, is is always kind of that outside shade, um, opening up the middle of the field for receivers constantly where OU is just they're just not good at coverage in the middle of the field and I you know I Uh, is this in man coverage yes this is in man coverage so this is a thing that I mean maybe I am I'm so far removed from from football and technique that maybe I'm just behind the times now but I've always been taught that when you're playing man you want an inside shade and you're playing man coverage and when you're playing kind of outside leverage, that's more of like a zone. I mean, and you can always shift it and move it around. But, yeah, I, I've never understood the idea of giving the inside shade when you're playing man because you're, you're allowing them to go inside. I don't know if the idea is that you're trying to bait them. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to go inside, and then you're going to make a break on the ball or something like that. If that's the case, it's, it's not working. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're not I just, being successful. Right? Like, I, wouldn't you want to have an inside shade, one, because the sideline is another defender? Right. And two, wouldn't you at least, if, if you're going to give up an easy, a quote-unquote easy pass, wouldn't you want to force them to go outside the numbers to do that or outside the hashes to do that because it's, diff- it's a more difficult throw? Yes, and again, maybe we could have a coach come on. <laughs> and, and you know, again, maybe I'm behind. There's, there's got to be a, a reason for it. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, sick, I'm sick of seeing receivers wide open on RPOs over the middle of the field. I'm sick of it. It happens, and there were there were plenty of instances in this game where receiver where receivers either dropped the pass or it was just an inaccurate pass, and there were guys still wide open running on RPOs. It's happened. It's happened against essentially every team they've played. Remember last year when they, when they went to Lubbock and they played Texas Tech, there were guys wide open on RPOs that entire first half. They just didn't catch it, and Trey Norwood picked it off instead. Like it's it's an issue. It's an issue that they've refused to adjust to. Well, I'll be able to comment further after I watch the game. I just I, I can't at this moment. I do want to mention, I did go back and look up Pat Fields from last week because I just want to make sure I get him quoted correctly. Uh, it was a question about the two-lane offense, and Pat said, well, it's difficult because they've got a new offensive coordinator. The only game he called was their bowl game last year. And then Pat said, the great thing is that every day in practice, we see a potential number one pick in Spencer Rattler. And we're also going up against Caleb Williams, who's also, you know, number one player in his class. So in terms of offense, we see so many different things. Our practices are so intense. So whatever Tulane does, I think we'll be able to handle it because of the prep that we have done. So that's why it came off to me as as long as, you know, we just keep practicing hard we, we see everything in practice anyways all these great players that we'll be able to just adjust and be able to play Tulane whatever it, that's so again just wanted to make sure I quoted Pat Fields correctly that that's all fine and good pregame whenever the final score is 40 to 35 and you get you know you give up what three touchdowns after halftime it, it doesn't look as good so there you go yeah ironically enough through my rewatch right now halfway through the third quarter Pat Fields is the one guy who who hasn't made any bad plays in the game. <laughs> hey, he made that great TFL. Came up from a safety spot, got that tackle behind the line of scrimmage. TFL. He that was also. Out to me. He had a pass defended as well, where he 
where he kind of recovered, found the receiver, and then found the ball, and then batted it away. Did a good job there. And those are really the only two plays where he's been noticeable in the entire game. Um, DTY had a pretty rough game. Pretty rough game. All right. One other thing that I have in my notes here about Oklahoma's defense against Tulane's offense before we move on to the OU offense against Tulane defense. Uh, there was at least two, correct me if there was more than two, dropped interceptions in the secondary, Grant. I saw DJ Graham could have had one in the end zone, and then Billy Bowman went up high and could have had one. Am I missing another one? No, you're not. So I think the DJ Graham one was in the second half, I think. And it was in the end zone, I think, wasn't it? It was in the third. Yes, it was in the end zone, and Tulane did score on that drive. Um, The Billy Bowman one was not as consequential because the very uh, two plays later was the Reggie Grimes strip sack. Um, So they actually were probably in better field position. But also at the same time, like... The Graham one was harder because it mostly just hit his fingertips, um, whereas the Bowman one was literally in his hands. Like, it hit him right in the hands. Yeah. Um, both, both of them would have been really great plays, but, like, they need to start making really great plays. I'm, like, they're supposed to make those plays. And so, yeah, you know, it's... Especially those two players. I mean, we, we both love DJ Graham, and we both love Billy Bowman. So, I guess, like, but, it's, yeah. you know, Tulane even though they came out with a lot of stuff that was unfamiliar from what they did last season when I watched them, they kind of lived up to exactly how I described them. I said, they're pretty good. They're pretty good on offense. Um, and when you let a pretty good offense get some, get some momentum and you don't make any in-game adjustments schematically, they're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just I like to look at the drive charts sometimes. First two drives for Tulane, those two touchdown drives was super easy. And then I mentioned how Ellison had that tackle on first down. The next drive, that kind of put Tulane behind schedule for the first time all game. After the two touchdown drives, Tulane went punt, fumble, fumble, punt, fumble to end the first half. And then after halftime, Tulane went field goal, touchdown, three and out, touchdown, missed touchdown. Missed field goal. Oh, a missed field goal. Oh yeah, this yeah, field yeah. Okay, goal. Yeah, and that was a that was an bad. interesting yeah, drive right. too. There was oh, you had penalties on that drive. Um, it was Tulane was not moving the ball particularly well on that drive. Okay, yeah, and I actually i I didn't see much of that drive because I was trying to get stuff figured out at halftime with work and things like that. So I got out on the field just in time for that missed field goal. Looking at the, I mean, obviously Oklahoma forced those takeaways in the first half, but only one traditional three and out the entire game. Uh, I mean, I guess technically they had a... No, no, that's not a three and out. So that needs to get better. Let's see, anything else? I Let's, mean, they, uh, sure, I mean, there's there's plenty of stuff that we can... <laughs> that we can highlight. Um, so I, I have noticed, and I, I, I uh, told you about this before we hopped on, but I have noticed there's a lot of people, it's like on message boards, and I think Alex Grinch had a, got a question in it in the... Um, in the press conference yesterday, asking whether or not they did, what whether or not they're substituting too much on defense. Um, and after rewatching what I've rewatched, I think there's a little bit of merit to that, actually. Um, and what I mean, defensive people can come here and correct me or not, but I, I, I really have a hard time believing that it's that it's easy to get into a groove when you know you're only going to be playing sporadically, kind of every other drive or whatnot. 
Um, and I, hey, we, we love the depth on the defensive line. Obviously, we love the depth. And it was a super hot day, too. Um, so, of course, you want to be rotating a lot as much as you possibly can. But, I mean, I'm going through. And so f- the, the starting defensive front on offense, Lee, was actually Grimes, Redmond, Winfrey, and Benito. So Ellison and Thomas did not start this game. Um, and Brian Osamoa also did not start. Deshaun White and David Igwebu did. Uh, let's see here. On the second series, the second series, it started with Stokes and Gilliam on the inside with Benito and Thomas on the outside. That kind of surprised me. Um, third defensive series started with Cohen and Ellison on the inside uh, with Grimes and Stripling on the outside. So that's, I mean, three, the first three series, that's three different combinations that they threw out there. And hey, it's great. And I think all of those guys are capable of playing. Um, from what I saw, I, I don't, I don't think Gilliam and co are going to play that much this season past, past maybe the, the non-conference. Um, but I don't know. I mean, how can people kind of get into a groove when you're switching up that much? Unless, unless from a defensive line standpoint, it really is just about, Hey, attacking, attacking your gap, doing your job on that play and then get out, you know, get, get a breath, get some water. But I, the defensive line was not consistent in this game. They did not play consistently whatsoever. And they were, they were downright bad at times defending the run, staying in their gaps. And a lot of that was on the linebackers. I, again, the linebackers played really poorly yesterday uh, in all facets. They just, they just didn't play well at all. Um, but also when you're, when you're faced with a team that's kind of doing the same thing over and over again, don't you think there's some value in maybe letting some guys kind of work that out themselves? Um, and don't you think that would be easier if they're out there for a majority of the snaps on every drive? Again, I get it. On the field, it was probably over 100 degrees, and it was terrible, and that probably played a bigger, uh, a bigger factor into the game than maybe any of us are willing to admit. Didn't seem like it affected Tulane that much, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, good stuff there, and it's a good question. I, I don't know. Uh, as far as getting into a groove, uh, I will take the angle of providing the coach's uh, answer to those questions because Kerry Murdoch asked – Craig Murdoch asked Alex Grinch about that, and he he said the same things that you're kind of saying. He said, "Hey, that with the temperatures so high, it's the first game of the year." Grinch said that his message was that we want to sub too much rather than not enough, and the fact was that Oklahoma rotated, and the fact that they rotated so much, and this is what he and Lincoln Riley mentioned uh, when it came to you know, rotating and substituting and things like that. All of the rotations and keeping people fresh gave us a chance to finish the game at the end. And they saw some juice in that last series, and Oklahoma got off the field. Uh, Riley was a, a lot more positive about that and using that. Grinch was a little bit more like a fan and a little bit more realistic when he said, all right, yeah, it gave us a chance at the, at the end of the game. We had some juice there. He said, Gr- Grinch said, quote, sure, I might be grasping some at straws there in terms of the positive of that, but – we have seen situations in the past where we haven't finished games. So he did say that this is something that they're going to continue to evaluate. It's one game. They have it all on tape now. They have all these different bodies. They'll go back and hopefully they honestly reflect and decide whether or not this is good or bad or indifferent. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. It's something that in the post game, when they were asking questions about that, being on the field, I, I didn't 
think that was that big of a deal because I didn't watch the game. But now hearing that that's a, you know, obviously those who were up top watching it thought that was a deal, a big deal with all the rotations. You thought it was kind of a deal. So a lot of guys played on defense. A ton of guys played. Like, I mean, it was, they, I mean, they were totally true to their word. They said they had a lot of depth and they want to play. They, a ton of guys played. So, so many guys. Um, which, I mean, you know, obviously they were coming into this game hoping to get a lot of guys in because it's non-conference against Tulane. Um, I just, it's, there's so many ways that we can, we can kind of break this down. I don't know, like, there, because there were some, there were some, some positive things that you can take away too. There were some, some people who flashed, like Reggie Grimes, for instance, looks obviously like a guy who is, who is going to be a huge, a big time player this year. Although I think his his run defense left a lot to be desired when he was in there, he was getting pushed around too much uh, when he was in there uh, in, in terms of running the ball. Some other things I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, I thought Washington and Graham both had uh, below average to bad days. Um, They're just they, they were chasing too many guys in coverage. They they <laughs> and that's not good. Uh, like I said, DTY I think had the roughest game of all of the uh, the defensive backs. Uh, Key Lawrence, he had the one huge hit. Um, and by the way, why can't the penalty be removed on that? Like you, they yeah they, they come out and they they come out and they say it's not a penalty, but we can't remove the penalty. That doesn't make any yes. sense to me. That needs to be changed. Uh, it was a brutal hit, a brutal hit, but one hundred percent clean. Uh, other than that, there was one uh, one instance where I saw Key Lawrence get kind of. Uh, he was uh, he was on the slot receiver in coverage, and they ran just a short crossing route over the middle. And Key actually he he read it at first, and the um, the slot receiver just one did one little small stutter step, pivot step, and then he just kept going into his route, and he kind of left Key in the dust. Uh, and it was an easy, they gained like fifteen yards on it. Um, I mean, just stuff like that. Stuff like that is really frustrating. Um, I'm trying to think, is ever. Um, what else did we see? I'm trying to think of anything good that we saw. Um, so how about this? Oh, I, hey, remember before the game, I said, "Hey, this this offense is pretty good, and if you're not if you're not careful, they can, they can definitely hurt you because they got a nice little collection of skill players." But of course, none of them, none of those skill players did anything. Uh, but I also said they'll turn the ball over because they turned it over a lot last season, and that that clearly came up in this game and they, the three take the three turnovers they had. Plus they probably left another three on the field that, Oh, you could have capitalized on. Um, so that's, that's like the one thing that kind of makes me pause and saying like, Oh, maybe Tulane won't go on and win like eight or nine games from here, because I think they're still going to turn it over a ton and teams are going to make them pay for that. Um, cause Michael Pratt's not, he's not very, He's not. He's that. That that's his one big demerit. He is not very careful with the ball whatsoever. This is why I, I have a, I have a tough time with you know, and I'll, I'll watch the tape back. But I, I think you said that he's a pretty accurate passer. I'm not so sure he's an accurate passer because he he will put the ball in bad spots. So I, I think he's he he may not be as as accurate as you think. I mean, there's sounds like there's a lot of open guys, and I mean, with the exception of that first one that you talked about. 30 minutes ago where the guy made like the one-handed grab it was a great spot um i don't no, know I mean, but he's were, a good player get, there were, yeah. no i mean there were plays where he 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 very rarely uh whenever he put the ball on people he put them in good position so they could keep running or it was a back shoulder like that very first play yeah there were some throws that he missed okay um okay. but a vast majority of them were kind of right on the money they had some drops too okay 
So how about this? I'll just I'm trying to think of other things from my perspective that were good from the defense. And the only thing that comes to mind, I mean, you mentioned the takeaways there a second ago. Uh, Clayton Smith recovered the fumble, but Isaiah Thomas forced it. But it's good to see Clayton Smith out there playing. There was one play on a quick pass out to the boundary. I saw Latrell McCutcheon made a nice tackle. That yep, would I noted that no in game. Here. But did he that do anything the else the rest of the game that you saw? That, uh, from from that point on, so that was on the very last two lane drive of the uh, of the first half where he did that. Uh, up, that was the first time I noted him, and I haven't seen him at all in the third quarter since then. Really. Okay, so other than that kind of when Oklahoma's defense was starting to figure things out in the first quarter, I think maybe that maybe the third drive of the game. I, I kind of, I remember a making a nice tackle on third down on like a screen pass or something like that, but good. That's about all that stands out to me defensively through my camera lens. Uh, yeah. Uh, David Agwebu had the one, had that one nice play. Uh, that was the first time they got Tulane off the field. Uh, I was on third and nine. Of course, the, um, all Tulane did on that play, they set up just a a, dra- a drag route where where Pratt was backpedaling because there he was under a ton of pressure immediately. Set up a drag route and Igwebu did a good job of trailing it and he got the guy behind the line. Um, but again, I mean that was the whole deal. I mean when they were in third and fourth and long, they couldn't really do much, um, which just makes it even. Which I just and maybe this is me just being a fan and not knowing defense enough, but I don't know how when that's the case. Your your mantra on defense is all right. Shrink the space in every facet. Shrink the space so that they can't get off the line and they can't. And OU, hey, OU does that at times. They they were up in press quite a bit in this game, but not everybody. There was always one person who was bailing, and that person got the ball a majority of the time. Hmm. Okay, yeah, and we've talked in the past in the last couple of years about Alex Grinch's defense that sometimes they they do do that. They'll bail guys and they'll based on motion, things like that, which it's easy for offensive coordinators to see, and they can scheme up easy throws for their quarterback. And so and when I go deep, back and rewatch this, I'll be able to comment more on that. And it's and if, if the quarterback, especially in this game, I notice this a lot with Jaden Davis, especially. Um, if the quarterback is paying attention, you can tell when they're going to bail. Like they're, they, they bail like seconds before the snap. Like you can tell they're trying to bail. And so if you just kind of, it's it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. I don't, it's, shrink the space that's and like if you give up that's what we always said if you give up big plays then okay fine whatever but i like it's better to me than just with the little dink and dunk and just death by a thousand cuts i i'm i'm so tired of it it's annoying as hell yeah and i'll have to watch other games it was a tough day because i was at the ou game and was working i didn't have a chance to watch really any of that georgia game any of the bama game and these are defenses that we always know are really really good we watch more tape of those teams we'll, we'll get a refresher it's like you know, what do they do defensively i mean you mentioned georgia a little bit ago like they have a lot of confidence in their defense and it sounds like you know according to you that they're very aggressive oklahoma has a lot of confidence in its defense that's a big reason why we're so high on oklahoma this year so why can't oklahoma do similar things you know I, I, there was a play there's I'll and we can move on to the offense after this, but there was a play in the in the Georgia Clemson game. Uh, it was the one touchdown in the game. Georgia had the pick six. Uh, it was Christopher Smith. Georgia replaced their seven top defensive backs from a season ago. All of the guys back there are totally new starters and weren't and like weren't huge time contributors for them last season. On the pick six, it was a play 
where the safety knew what the play was going to be and he reacted to it. He took off, he he took away inside leverage and then he baited the quarterback into the throw. Like, I mean, it was frustrating to watch because I was like, I haven't seen an OU safety make a play like that, I don't think ever. And there was anticipation, there was them knowing what Clemson does in certain situations, and they capitalized on it. Like, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's not like they had a ton of film on DJ uh, Lugalele. I mean, they had the one Notre Dame game from a season ago, and that's it. You know, so... All right, let's talk about the offense. And, I mean, Spencer Rattler throws an interception. I mentioned that at the very beginning of the show. Uh, Lincoln Riley talked about Spencer. I, I can bring up what he said. I mean, Riley wasn't all that hard on Spencer Rattler. And again, like from my camera lens, I mean, it. let's just say that last week when I said what I want to see happen, I want to see Rattler play elite to make me forget about that spring game performance, at least through the camera lens. I didn't get that out of Spencer Rattler. I didn't think he played terrible based on what I saw. But, I mean, it, it wasn't like, man, this guy looks like he's just sparkling and, and, and playing great. Uh, but let me just say quickly what Riley said. And then you can comment on what you saw from Rattler. Riley said that he thought his decision-making was pretty strong. He said he had a couple of bad decisions. Not a ton, though. Decision-making was sharp. The worst one was the check down to Stogner in two-minute drill before the half. I think that's what I referenced a little bit earlier when he checked down and Stogner got hung out to dry. I think that's exactly what the play that uh, Riley was referencing. Riley also said that Rattler missed a few throws that he typically makes, and he missed them in places that you can't miss them. I got to give Tulane credit on the interceptions and mostly he said that Rattler was okay. He can play better. He'll need to play better. And there'll be things that, that Riley can do to prepare him and group and play a lot better. He had moments where he was good. So that's Lincoln Riley. Grant, what did you think about Rattler's play? Um, he, he looked like the Spencer Rattler of last season. Um, and I know he just doesn't look like he's improved at all. Uh, the same stuff that kind of haunts him still haunts him now. His, his tendency to drift in the pocket and throw off of his back foot. That was his biggest demerit a season ago, and it's still there. That has not been corrected at all. Um, and, and that's the thing. Actually, if you, if, when you go back and watch the, the, the TV broadcast, uh, Dusty hammers on that the entire game. The entire game. He's saying, again, Rattler throw off his back shoulder, or his back foot again. Um, didn't step into the throw again. Um, like that first, that first INT that he threw is just is indefensible. I mean, it is just it's so awful across the board. A horrendous decision. He backs up like ten yards before he throws it. He still throws it off of his back foot. He doesn't step into it. Like it's it's the throw like dies midway through the air because of that. Um, and it, they were just in they were just in plain old cover two. That's what they were in. I think they actually, I, I'm sorry, it was the. The, the corner picked it off, so I think they were in cover three. Um, but, I mean, it was, just, it was a bad decision. Mims was not open at any point in time during the entire thing. Um, and so I, I, thought, I thought Rattler, in between his terrible decisions that he made, was pretty good. But that is no different than what he was kind of last season also. Um, and I, you know... And in the second half, he was just bad. He he just he just wasn't good. If that's Lincoln Riley's fault, I don't know. If it's, um, I just I I wasn't super impressed. You can still see the talent. You can still see his his arm talent or whatever. 
But I think you need to definitely question his decision-making ability and also just this this inability to iron out the the bad parts of his game, or at least that's what it looks like so far. Um, he's just he's not good enough to to be at that level yet. Um, we haven't even I haven't even talked about like all, all all he he threw three picks right? No, it was just the two. It should have been three. Yeah, because yeah, the, one, the one got called back. Yeah, the the one got called back, and that was it was a it was a really bad pi call. Um, so I mean, he like just, it was he, like it was obviously pass interference, or it shouldn't have been pass interference. Shouldn't have been pass interference. Oh, the one uh the the misthrow to to Hazelwood or to Hazelwood where he was kind of battling with the guy that was after the first or uh, Tulane's second turnover of the game, or no, I'm sorry, after their first turnover of the game where he threw it. Uh, threw it to Hazel Hazelwood for like a jump ball. That was more of pass interference on Tulane than it was um, in the interception that was called back in the second half. So, okay. um, you know, it's I, I, I wasn't super impressed with Spencer Rattler. The stuff that we, that we saw him do, that we saw him excel at yesterday, is stuff that we've already seen before. I wanted to see him take another step, and I, don't, I didn't necessarily see that yesterday. Man, I'm watching back the first interception, and yeah, it looks like they're playing press cover three. And OU's going to their bread and butter, the, the leak. what people call the leak, play. the leak play. And it's like Rattler just assumed that Tulane was going to fall for it, and they didn't. I mean, whenever you're playing cover three, if you're <laughs> if you're not a moron, you stay in your zone. <laughs> you 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 survey the field and the corner stayed back and then there was also it's like the middle linebacker might have trailed as well and you're right i mean not a, at any point is marvin mims open the read rattler should have came off of mims and checked down to eric gray in the flat and eric gray probably is able to catch it and he's one-on-one with a linebacker he probably gets the first down uh, on that side of the field so that's to me that just tells me Rattler pre-snap just determined, yep, I'm going to go to Marvin here. He's going to be open. He's open a lot. And even though it wasn't there, he forced it. And there you go. So uh, there's there's a there's a Lee rewatch comment for this podcast. Um, and looking at this play, I mean, it looks like Tulane's pretty disciplined in coverage, playing uh, you know cover three there on second down. From my perspective, what was confusing, considering Tulane's pass defense was so bad last year. And they got torched. They gave up like the the fifth most yards in the country and like the fifth most touchdowns in the country. I expected Oklahoma to be able to expand the field, get explosive plays, bomb away. And it seemed like they could not stretch the defense at all. So my question to you is, was Tulane just playing a lot of top-down, cover three, keeping everything in front of them and, and forcing Rattler to take what they were giving them? I did see. I mean, I I saw a lot of deep safeties, um, but also in kind of halfway through the first quarter and in the second quarter when OU was getting chunk plays, it didn't matter. Like, I mean, they were still okay. So, um, and and it still shouldn't matter if they're still playing that shell. Who cares? They're one of the worst pass defenses in college football. Like when yeah. you're Oklahoma and you think you're at the level that you're at, it should not matter what coverage they play. It didn't matter. It didn't matter against anyone they played last year. All right. So then, how about the running game? 
I mean, this isn't TJ Pledger. This isn't Seth McGowan. I mean, this is Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks. We both love them. And the offensive line, uh, we can talk a little bit about. I mean, Conjol started at center and then Rame came in. Riley said that Rame had kind of been out and they just got him back recently. And so they worked him in late in the game. Uh, so, again, from my perspective, it was troubling that Oklahoma didn't seem like they could consistently run the ball with the exception of in the second quarter, Kennedy Brooks kind of started getting it going. But Eric Gray had, from my perspective, one kind of okay carry. And after that, I didn't really see him at all. So, Grant, your thoughts on the running game. What was going on there with the running backs? And then you can talk about the offensive line, too. If, if I mean, it seems like that might have been a problem. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line, I thought the offensive line was totally fine in pass protection, as they were pretty much all of last season. Uh, they, they didn't block up the running game well at all. Uh, far too many missed blocks. Uh, in this game and also at the same time you know this is a, a two-lane team that when you watch them especially their linebacking core had a really good idea of what OU wanted to do um, they and this has been put on tape enough times now um, if you don't have kind of the backside pole attached to the GT counter it's not effective anymore uh, the book is out on how to stop that as soon as you start to see the guard and the tackle pole on the defense or if you're a linebacker, you just you shoot the gap right away and blow it up, and it works. I mean, it, it works. Um, so kind of like that backside pull that Mayfield had in the second half of 2017 and Murray had all of 2018, that kept the defense honest. You need that to run that play um, outside of just a few a handful of times. Um, there were a couple of Kennedy Brooks runs where they were able to he was able to spring it a little bit on the GT counter. Um, that, to me, looked like, 100% Kennedy Brooks, his comfort in the offensive system. Um, for what OU wants to do running the ball, Kennedy Brooks is clearly a better option than Eric Gray. If that's, if, if that's how they want to run the ball, um, I, 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 don't think, I don't think between the tackles is, is, is going to be Eric Gray's bit. Um, I, I would really, especially seeing how, how aggressive Tulane's linebackers were yesterday, I think maybe a little more outside zone would probably be best for this offense, especially a guy like Eric Gray, who is kind of more of a darter, uh, kind of get him more outside zone and try to pick a gap where he can dart through, I think would be better for him. Um, but hey, one one positive of the offense, and there were multiple positives, I thought Kennedy Brooks looked great. I thought he looked really good. Kennedy Brooks is good, man. He's good. And I think, um, I, I think especially in the first half of the season, if the running game is ever going to get going consistently, it's probably going to be it's probably going to be Brooks. Um, just only just because he seems to understand the flow and what to do on that GT counter play, whereas it seemed like Gray, when he was when he was running in the middle of defense, kind of looked a little indecisive, like he was juking a little too much. Um, and it makes me wonder if they just if they sort of if they kind of figure it out from there. Um, other things I thought, you know, I thought Jeremiah Hall. Uh, had a had a pretty rough game blocking it up in the run game. There were a handful of plays I saw where he just he just missed his block, and that resulted in a a tackle that either behind or at the line of scrimmage, uh, which that's not normal really for Jeremiah Hall. So that sucks. Um, I did notice they were able at times to be able to run the ball okay on the goal line when they had uh, the Stogner Hall and Willis threesome out there, the trio out at the same time. So that's good to see. Um, Another, I'm trying to think of other positives. I think I thought the receivers looked good. Um, I think they're, I think kind of the quartet 
of of Mims, Hazelwood, Williams, and Woods is actually pretty salty. Um, I, I I saw enough from all four of those guys that I thought were like, yeah, I mean, I can see all of these guys, you know, being deadly at certain. We already know about Mims. Uh, I I really liked the effort to get Mario Williams the ball in space. He's clearly going to be a huge part of this offense. Uh, watching him in space, kind of with those those bubble screens. I don't know why you wouldn't like. Why wouldn't you uh, mess around with putting him in the backfield? Why not? Um, just like just as not all the time, just as as experimentation. I thought I saw yeah, Mims I mean, they did in the backfield for a play. Yeah, I, I thought I saw with, with yeah. Hollywood Brown. Yeah. Exactly. I, I thought I saw Mims in the backfield for a couple of plays too. Um, I'd need to go back and note those. But yeah, I, I thought I thought the receivers looked good. Obviously the um Woods dropping the touchdown pass wasn't great, but also that was a really great play by the defensive back on there too. Yeah, he took a I, I get hits. really frustrated watching other teams play defensive backs make really good plays on the ball, especially when they're from Tulane. That really bugs me. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something I'll be able to talk more about when I watch more of it. Uh, let's see. Because that was Riley a, on the off. I was gonna say, yeah, that dropped throw from. I mean, that was such a good throw from Rattler. I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, maybe you take the good with the bad. And I mean, that was a freaking dime that Rattler threw on a on a rope. So talking about to to Mike Woods. Yeah, to Mike Woods. Yeah, I mean, but he he took a couple hits. Uh, that that wasn't as bad as I mean. Uh, Mario Williams dropped a touchdown pass. Beautiful the throw back by Rattler. shoulder. That was one of, yeah. That I actually noted this here. That's one of Rattler's best throws as a Sooner, and it and wasn't. was right in front. It happened right in front of me, and I I thought, oh man, that looked good. And I saw the replay on the the jumbotron from the different angle. I thought, oh man, that was a pretty throw. And yeah, it's his first college game. Yeah, it's Mario Williams. But man, we how many times? Like I think you made the comment. See, last year I was kind of given. Stogner a pass for dropping a touchdown against Missouri State and you're like no nah, come on man I mean this we want this team to be great we're supposed we're supposed to expect these guys to make these plays and it was, Rambo. was like, you know, you're right no no there was no Stogner dropped one against Missouri State oh Rambo dropped one too they both did uh I uh, Stogner it was like going right to left in the end zone on like a third down RPO or something like that and I remember you saying no nah, come on man like you got a higher standard than that and I said yeah you're right uh, but yes, no, Rambo also did drop one in that game too. Yeah, that was like the first incompletion I think Rattler had. So yeah, it's just uh, the drop passes, uh, the dro- that drop touchdown, uh, the the two dropped interceptions, not great. Uh, speaking of wide receivers, Theo Weiss, we talked about him a little bit last week. Riley said that he's got a lower body injury and that he's going to miss at least the first half of the season. And then after that, we'll see. So Oklahoma going to be without Theo Weiss for a while. Who knows when we'll be able to come back. So that's at least a little bit of clarification on, on Weiss. But, yeah, from my perspective, the wide receivers look fine. Good to see Jaden Higgs will get out there, get some targets, get some, uh, get some catches. Marvin Mims, great. Good stuff. Um, kind of like to see Stogner He's involved explosive. more. Like we, we knew that already. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line a little bit. I'll tell you what Lincoln Riley said. You mentioned that you like pass protection, and Riley said that he thought pass protection was really good. He said the run game had moments of good, uh, but at times they were inconsistent. He said the biggest negative to him for the offensive line were the penalties. He said there are several false starts. You know, if you had third and medium, false start, then you have third and long. He said you got to get some things cleaned up there, and they're going to keep looking at that offensive line lineup to make sure they got the best five out there every single time. I saw 
just in my rewatch, I haven't gotten to the point where he's gotten sacked yet. Um, because if if I remember uh, while watching the game live when Rattler got sacked, I was thinking oh, that's that's really the only the first time he's been under pressure in this game. Um, there was one play. It was a it was a drive OU scored on. It was in the second quarter. I'm sorry, it was in the first quarter. It was on that. It was it was after Chris Murray's second false start penalty, and so that made it a, a third and nine in the red zone. And uh, Rattler hit Brian Darby for a first down uh, for a gain of like 11 or 12. And Rattler had to get outside of the tackle box on that play because because Tyrese Robinson totally blew his assignment on the play. Just let just let the defensive end run right past him. Um, I don't. I have no idea how he how we blew it on that play, but it seems that the guy the guy was lined up on his outside shoulder. But that doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, that was the only kind of pass pro bust that I really saw. Um, okay. But and that's but like having that been said, it's not like the the offensive line was not clean at all. There was just um, Tulane a really really aggressive defensive front, and o- Oklahoma's offensive line, especially in the run game, had issues with that, big time. And like so, that, I mean that, yeah, that makes me concerned for teams like TCU, who you know are just extremely aggressive and and you know and stuff like that. So, so much stuff to work on. I actually hate that they're playing an FCS team next week. I think that's actually the worst thing for this team, um, because they're going to come out and they're you know that game's going to be over in the first quarter, and then they're just going to be able to sit and relax, and they're actually going to be able to sit and relax. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's 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 not a good thing they're playing an FCS team next week. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, wanted to mention this after the game, Spencer Rattler. He said that Tulane is one of the toughest, hardest hitting teams he's ever faced. He said that Tulane wanted to win the game more than Oklahoma did. You could just tell. So hey, he was open and honest about it. That's the starting quarterback, and and yeah, I just like kind of what I saw. That's too. one of those things I struggle with. That um. I'm I'm in that area like I cl- very clearly Tulane wanted that game more than OU did, and here as an outside observer, you know I've played sports in my life. I I just don't understand that whatsoever, at all. I don't understand the mentality of not of like not getting up for a team or not. It makes zero sense to me. None, zero. You're playing on national television in Division One college football. If you're not excited for that game from beginning to end. What are we even doing here? Yeah, I I agree. I tend to agree. I, I've always I've always had that thought as well. I I think back to my sports career and in high school, you know, played baseball and football. Baseball team was always pretty good. We weren't the best. Football team, for the most part, we were one of the best teams in the state. So we were always, I guess, favored to win, with the exception of a, a couple of games a year. Even when we were playing the teams that we knew we were going to beat the crap out of by forty points, I wanted to be—I wanted to beat the crap out of them. I mean, every single game I went in, I—I I, I want to shut these guys out. I—I I don't want—I want to leave no doubt. I—I I took every single game as serious as the next one. Uh, and when it came to baseball, I mean, it's a different sport, but kind of the same way. When I got to college, played college baseball, we weren't very good. We were always kind of the underdog, and so it was. I was going to say it's, it was easier to get up for games, but not really. I felt the same way. Like I went into every single game wanting to win and thinking that we could win, even though I knew we were playing teams that are a lot better than us, but it's sports. You know, we could beat them. And for the most part, we lost a lot of those games. We weren't as good as the good teams, and it felt really good to beat the teams you know, that were better than us here and there. So, uh, yeah, I, 
Is it one of those things where it's just it's just a line from Spencer Rattler and it's not necessarily true? But then again, I, I can't imagine myself if, I, if you know I was ever privileged enough to be in a situation where people wanted to know what I had to think about my performance in games. I can't imagine ever getting up there and thinking that, man, it seemed like that team over there wanted the game more than us or wanted the game more. I just can't imagine that ever coming up, or at least if I thought that, I don't know if I would have said it out loud. I would have probably tried to handle it inside the locker room and, and what's going on. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I I don't get that at all. It, sports playing football is so fun. It's so fun. That's there's so few games. Practice is hard. Practice is not fun. It's not. Maybe it's not as hard as it used to be back in the day. It, maybe it's not. You know. Maybe they. I don't know. But man, the games are so fun. It, so I guess I, I think I, anyways, I think the yeah. challenge for this team going forward and, you know, because at the end of the day and I hate that cliche, but, you know, they were still up 37 to 14 at halftime. Um, and I think everyone watching that game was thinking, all right, I mean, it'd be pretty sweet if they can they can score three or four touchdowns in the second half. Maybe, you know, geez, like, I don't know, maybe score 50 or six because like it was that was totally realistic. They were going to get the ball six more times or six or seven more times in the second half. Um, and so, like, I, I can't think of anything other than Lincoln Riley needs to needs to get this team's head away from the score. It needs to all be about execution and goals within those walls. It has That has nothing to do with the score of the game. There needs to be consequences for not playing well and for not executing. And they need to totally, like, the whole mantra should be, hey, we know who we are. We know if we come and execute no one's going to beat us in the regular season if we come out and we play well. And so why wouldn't you decouple your your thought process from the score in that situation? It should be all about execution. And if you don't execute, you're going to have really shitty practices and you're going to pay for it. Like, I, I don't... It, it, it does kind of... Uh, because this is a... Because we're, we're at the point right now where it's this is a theme. This is This is absolutely... A, a trait of Lincoln Riley coached teams. They need to do something differently. Tulane is a good yeah. team. They ain't that good, man. They are not that good. Yeah, man. I, I just I can't wrap my head around it. I, you know, Riley saying that. Uh, I think you know. I think some of the guys thought you know thought the game was over at halftime, including some people in that locker room. And my, my thought is, if I'm in that locker room at halftime, we're up 37-14. Yeah, I know it was hot. I was there. I didn't have pads on, but you know what? Also, I, I'm not a college football player where like, yeah, you have all these pads on, but also you can get water and Gatorade, whatever you want. You can run around there and leave the field whenever you want. You're in good condition. You're, you're a college kid. You're going to be fine out there. So fatigue and being hot should not have been really much of an issue for them. And the point I'm trying to get at is I'm in the locker room. I'm on the defense. I'm on the offense. I'm Spencer Rattler. I'm Eric Gray. I mean, how are you not thinking like, man, we got another half of football left. Let's go. Let's go. Let's put another 30 points on the board defensively. Let's get a shutout. Like, this is going to be fun. We only have one more half of football until we have to practice all week <laughs> and then play an FCS team. But yet they come out and it's just flat and no touchdowns. And it's it's like, do you, I don't, I just, I don't get it. And I, I hate to get su- to sound super emotional when it comes to that stuff like that because we've had this rant on this podcast before this is the first time we've had a version of this rant this now being year five of west of everest you know again maybe it's just easier for us since we're not part of the you know we're, we're not on the team so maybe it's easier for us, easier easier for us to say that and for something that we're not taking into consideration when you're on the team 
maybe it's more difficult. You know, today I'm going to see Dusty Dvorak. I might ask him about that. Hey, man, like, what? It, give, give me the idea of a college player, an NFL player. What's going through their head? Can, tell me something that maybe I'm not seeing here. I'm going to ask him about that today. Um, uh. And I don't know. I mean, I just, it's... God, I mean, I'm even thinking, going back to 2017 and 2018, this is a trend too. Remember when, like, it was always... Um, when those defenses would get a stop, the offense would never score after a stop. It was all like they never could score when they needed to to put the game away. Like yeah, I, I, just, I mean, go back to the Texas game from 2017 when they were up what 20 to nothing with Baker Mayfield and all those guys. And if there's any game where you're not going to take your foot off the gas pedal, it's Texas, and they let Texas come back in the game. I mean, even last year against Texas, the crazy comeback Texas they let Texas have. I mean, Oklahoma was up by what, seventeen or something with five minutes to go, was it? And it, it's just, it's weird, man. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, I, I did want to mention, and we can talk a little bit about Gabe Burkich. Uh, he had a great game, awesome. Back-to-back takeaways by the Oklahoma defense. Oklahoma then settles for back-to-back field goals, and the first one they got the ball inside the ten, I believe, couldn't punch it in. Next time they get the ball in plus territory again, can't score a touchdown, have to settle for field goals. I, I'm, I'm not breaking any news here, but if we, want this Oklahoma, if we think this Oklahoma team is good, a national championship contender, that is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Back-to-back turnovers on the first snap, and you settle for two field goals against Tulane? For his, Come on. For as for his bad as kind of the first two drives of the game went for OU's defense, and really for OU's team... It should have been 49 to 14 at halftime. Like, I mean, they should have been up by 35 points at halftime. Um, And the fact that they can't do this, it's, it's, we're going to be on it all the time. It is a problem on this team. It is the number one problem in this program, not being able to put their foot on the throat of the opponents. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They just can't do it. Um, and it's like, instances, I'm sorry, there's, there's one variable. There's one very, there's one person who's been there for the entire bit of it. And like, I'm, I, I'm the type of person, I'm the type of person who, who says, who is going to say, Hey, you know, Lincoln Riley is, he's, I think he's 45 and seven in his career or I'm sorry, 45 and eight in his career at OU. You're not going to find anyone who's going to do better than that, but he's not infallible and he needs to get better in this regard. And it's on him. Yeah, you're right. And just to be slightly kind of fair, there are instances we could go through where they have done it. They have pressed. It's just the one, all the bad ones stand out more. And I went over the, you know, their big, you know, big favorites. I can find that again. But yes, that this is, this is a thing. This is a thing. Um, I mean, I just think back to, and this, like, I've, I think I've blocked a lot of this game out of my mind because, um, I, I mean, I, I, I was actually at a wedding, and so I didn't be, I wasn't able to watch this game live. But in 2019, when they're at home against Iowa State, they were up 35 to 10 at halftime in that game, and then it came Ooh. back, and they, they, they came within a two point conversion of losing that game. And it's like, do you have any idea how unacceptable that is? Like it was 35 to 10. It was 35 to 10. That game oh was oh, and they and I, I was at that game, and I don't remember the score. At and halftime. I don't like. You you go into that like just that game particularly is I I think is is the best example of all of this. They scored they scored five times on a defense that was really good that season. They had no trouble, and then just for whatever reason they go into a shell and they they can't score anymore. 
It's like the other team makes adjustments and then OU doesn't understand that they're allowed to make adjustments too. <laughs> that's a good that's a good one. Good poll. Uh, real quick on Burkich, I made a reference to this a long time ago in this podcast. Great game. Awesome. It is it is a bit troubling that when there was a little bit of pressure on him towards the end of the game, he misses a chip shot field goal. I knew and he was going to miss it. And I think back to the Texas game last year. Chip shot field goal, a lot of pressure on him, even though there wasn't that much pressure because the game was tied. And if he would have missed it, it wasn't over. But still, pressure, and he misses that right down the, like, the chip shot field goal there. So Burkich is great. Don't get me wrong. He did all of his damage on Saturday when there really was no pressure on him. And when there was a little bit of pressure on him at the end of the game, he missed. So just something to file away. Not like I'm not throwing Burgage in the garbage can, obviously. Uh, he, his first year, he was nails. He didn't miss. Last year, he was, he was really good. He was the best kicker in the Big 12 last year, but he had a little bit of you know, cracks there, here and there. And in game one, he was awesome. And, it, and he was maybe the reason why Oklahoma won the game. They only won by five. He kicked all those field goals. But I just wanted to point out that he, again, when there was a little bit of pressure on him at the end of the game in the fourth quarter, he did miss that, chi- that chip shot field goal. And unfortunately, that's, a, that's an OU football trend going back over 20 years now. They, they just they don't make big kicks. Like, <laughs> well, again, just, his first year in 2018, 28 to 2019. Yeah, he made, I guess he made the kick with like four minutes to go in the game against Baylor. Yeah. But yeah, no, and, I mean, he didn't miss a kick in 2019. He was great. All right, we got to get to three word reviews. And I'll just say, say this one, right can now. I, can I say, can I just yeah. say one more thing? Um, I think up to this point, I just, I want to say one more thing about Spencer Rattler. Um, I think it's pretty unacceptable that the best game he's ever played in a senior uniform is still at Iowa State last season. Um, and, you know, obviously they lost that game, which is unfortunate. But it's really, really frustrating to me that he really hasn't improved. He hasn't even built on any of his successes in that game. Like, that's, that's the only game I can think of where he reliably went through his progressions on, on play. Like, I don't, I just, there's, there is, I, I, I do think we're at the point right now where it is fair to start questioning whether or not Rattler is the guy. It's fair. His, you can't question his talent. His talent is, is apparent. Um, my question for you is, at what point does it get to, at at what point do we just kind of say, okay, this is who he is and he's more Landry Jones than he is Baker Mayfield? Yeah, I'm not going to comment on that at all. I, I haven't, that's, that seems like a, a, a smear upon Spencer Rattler. I don't think it's a smear. I I really don't think it's a smear. I'm, he's just the, the, the quarterback play has not been as good the last two seasons as it was the first three years under Riley. And I'm including Jalen Hurts too. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't even need to talk about Jalen Hurts. Um, yeah, so I, I don't have... Well, Jalen Hurts has, was, was better in that season than Rattler has been at all throughout his entire career. Here. Yeah, I just, we clearly disagree on that. That's, I think that's... that's Jalen Hurts was really good for the first six games at OU. After that, or no, seven games. Uh, basically, the Kansas State game was the uh, dividing point, and from there on out, it was, it was a little rough. It was rough. Well, him... Jaylen. Him running for 100 yards a game after that does count. I know you don't really like to count that stuff. And him, him, him really only being a one or two read guy and never, like, how is that any different than Spencer Rattler right now? 
I, I haven't watched the game back. I'll have to watch it back. I, I mean, I thought Spencer Rattler was fantastic for the most part last season. So, I, I, I mean, a lot of people are throwing him in the garbage can right now. No, I the mean, he, thing- was, he was fantastic re- like relative to the rest of college football. So, Spencer Rattler's type of quarterback is what is successful in football. I guess Jalen Hurts is kind of a bit player. So, that's another reason why Rattler is above Hurts because Rattler can do a lot of things that Hurts doesn't do. The only thing that Hurts has over Rattler is athleticism and I think, more speed. Yeah, and I like I think you underrate that greatly with Jalen Hurts. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Like that's well, I mean not for long. Not not for long. I mean No, see this is so you don't know that actually. That's just a prediction that you're making. Like I've I've read plenty well, sure. of stuff. I've read plenty of stuff over the course of this offseason that says he has totally taken control of that locker room and that's his team. Like Well, I've also heard that he was really bad in training camp. And I mean, they just traded for Gardner Minshew. They got Joe Flacco. It's, I mean, we, we know what Jalen Hurts is. I mean, he can be good at the start of things whenever he's fresh and new, but like he tends to run more. He kind of gets beat up. And I mean, look at his, his stats from last year. He wasn't very good last year. So, I mean, yeah, I, mean I know that in the, in the NFL. Improved. I'm just saying, like, uh, Jalen Hurts, like, he, he was, he's gotten to the point where he was underrated in 2019. To like for for sooner oh, fans, I don't, he was I don't a one read so. guy. He didn't always make the best decisions, but when he was decisive, he he delivered an on time and accurate ball a vast majority of the time. And he's a just his running ability is extremely valuable. Like if, if Spencer well, Rattler could run, that would make him so much better. Yeah, that's that's Rattler's big knock. He's not nearly as athletic or fast as as the previous guys, and that's, he's not a, a great decision maker. Here's the thing with Jalen Hurts, though. You're right about Hurts and his running ability and stuff in the first seven games of the year. He didn't have that after that. Teams did not take him seriously because he was slow. He got beaten up. He, he was not keeping teams honest, and that's why he struggled in this last half of the year because his element of running wasn't the same as it was the first seven games of the season. But we don't, we don't have time to debate Jalen Hurts. That's just, this is a waste of time. I mean, we're, God, this is going to be a two-hour podcast. I, I don't have time for this. All right, I'm going to tell you guys that you gave us a ton of three-word reviews. There's a 0% chance we're going to get through all of them. And a lot of you like to put more than one. Uh, that's cheating. You can't put more than one. So if you put more than one, I'm only going to say one of them. And I'm going to pick the one. So you know what? Always come with your best. And I'm going to start because I think I had a pretty good one that I put on Twitter. And it's Wave of Doubt. I like that one because of the ah, green wave. It's uh, I almost said dusting off your old... Uh Reporter, but you're still a journalist. You're still a reporter. Um, <laughs> Did you, you have good. a three-word review? No, I'm terrible at these. I'm not good at being creative. Like I, okay. I feel like with a three-word review, you have to be extremely punny, and I'm just not. I also had another one that, given that there was a hurricane, I thought it might be in bad taste. So just there's that. So you guys can but think also, about like, it. that's literally two lanes, like mascot. I know that's though. what I was thinking. Like, that's they're, they're the green waves. It's not really a hurricane. It's it's a it's a wave. But uh, you guys can kind of. I'm not going to say it, but you can kind of use your imagination to think what what it would have been. All right, so let's start on Facebook because uh, all of you who like the West of Evers Facebook page, you guys rock. Uh, feel free to like the West of Evers Facebook page to interact with us. Let's see, Justin, you left plenty. I'm going to go with. Rattler was sloppy. I'll pick, up the, I'll pick the Rattler one from there. Let's see. 
William on the What's of Ever's Facebook page. Same old thing. Ned says, where was Gray? Talked a little bit about Eric Gray. Yeah, I mean, we certainly expected him to be a lot more involved in the offense. And we didn't really talk about that. I mean, the first play of the game was that little setup screen pass to him, um, which I, I guess, and he threw the pick right after that. So we didn't, like on the on the broadcast, they didn't really dwell on that a lot. But what a, like, go back and watch it. What a terribly designed play, hmm. especially going sure. against a team like Tulane. Like I, I'm, I, I want when you go back and rewatch it, Lee. I want you to comment on that to me. Text me when you see. I mean, what a, a really terribly designed play. Okay. Matt on the West of Everest Facebook page says they'll be fine. Uh, Mark says never believe hype. Uh, Barry says deja vu again. Pretty good. Friend of the podcast Brady Trantham. This is a good one. No more propaganda. So. Brady commenting or referencing, I guess, kind of something I talked about in the opening take. I bought in. I bought in. And I'm sure Brady, I mean, Brady's a fan like you are, Grant. Like, I mean, we're all like Oklahoma football. Uh, but yeah, no more propaganda. Caleb says Burkich best weapon. Uh, let's see. Elijah, same old Sooners. Uh, Harry, always the optimist, says win column Sooners. And Philip, I see a couple from you. I'll go with what happened defense. And just to to put a period on our Jalen Hurts debate, Shane says rat poison ingested. So that's from the West of Everest Facebook page. And man, on Twitter, I mean, a lot. You guys, you guys came through on Twitter, and again, impossible to get through all of them. Uh, I apologize, Coach, if I'm mispronouncing your last name. Coach Meineke from Putnam City, original here in Oklahoma City, says, first game jitters. Our cousin James says, defense bad again? God, I hope not, man. Uh, credit to Glenn for his three-word review, even though technically this is only two words, but he, uh, he goes, dump, stir, fire. <laughs> so uh, he makes dumpster into two words. Uh, I think your burner account, Grant, is uh, from Garrig on Twitter. His three-word review is bench Spencer Rattler. Okay, let's – okay, no, <laughs> I'm not – when I say I'm not sure if he's the guy, I, I don't mean that he shouldn't be the starting quarterback. I mean I'm not sure if he's the guy to get them a national championship is what I'm saying. And I think that's, I think that's totally fair to question at this point in time in his career. Josh Helmer from Sports Talk 1400 says, not this again. <laughs> uh, how about this one? Mark says, Mario's got moves. Yeah, Mario Williams looked like he was pretty good. Uh, we chided him for dropping that touchdown pass. Hopefully that's the only one he drops this season. I like this one from Sean. He says, next game, please. <laughs> Just move on. Let's get to the next one. Interesting from Brian. He says, be the hunter. And I think we can reference or we, we think he's talking about how like Oklahoma always seems to be the hunted. Everyone plays their Super Bowl against OU. Come out thinking that you're the underdog and play better. Can't argue with that. Again, I'm, there's, I'm not going to get to all of these. Uh, longtime listener Josh says that's rat poison. More rat poison from Jalen Hurts era. 
We haven't talked about this at all. From Todd on Twitter, at T. Donnan, Caleb Williams package. So yeah, Caleb Williams comes in there and scores a short, a short yard touchdown. And I'll be honest, my first thought when that happened was, all right, here we go. This is like the 2006 Florida team with Chris Week and Tim Tebow. Oh, no, you're right. See that. It would be 2006. You're right. But uh, I, something tells me Caleb Williams is a little bit better of a passer than Tim Tebow was. Can I, can I ask you a hypothetical? Can I ask you a hypothetical? First of all, sure. we don't know if he's going to be better than... Tim Tebow is one of the best college football players of all time. Mechanically. Mechanically. Okay. okay. Um, can, you, can you envision a scenario where... I'm not, saying, I'm not saying Caleb Williams takes his job, but can you envision a scenario like 2006 Florida? Where we see, where like over the course of the year, as it goes on, we just see a lot more Caleb Williams and a lot more stuff attached to that. Um, like, let's say, I don't know, let's say, let's say if OU gets through like the Texas game, they're still six and zero, but they've had a lot of close calls and they just haven't really been that great. Uh, Rattlers turned it over in really bad times. Like, could you could you see a scenario where they throw around the idea of? Of throwing Williams yes. out there for more. Yeah, yes, I could too. Absolutely. Yeah, I could too. So I talked about it last week a little bit. Caleb Williams was great in fall. He was really good in the spring. All the reports, everything back from him is that he's, he's great. I mean, all the teammates always reference Caleb Williams when they're talking about the Oklahoma offense. Like, yeah, we got Rattler over there. And, hey, Caleb looks really good too. So, yeah. Uh, that's definitely And I only say that because I think, I think we have enough evidence right now to say that OU's run game is at its best when the quarterback can run. Um, and if that if that restraint is not there, they are so much easier to defend uh, the I running agree. game. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. And th- that's why I think the biggest knock on Rattler is his lack of speed and lack of running ability. That I referenced, I talked about that a lot last year, kind of late in the years. That, that is the one thing that, I mean, Mayfield is pretty athletic and can, can move a little bit. Obviously, Kyler Murray is elite, other level guy, and then you got Jalen Hurts, who most of his game was running. Rattler is definitely more of a pocket passer in this offense, and guy who doesn't, who's it's <laughs> who 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 doesn't really like to be in the pocket either. So, yeah. So yes, there is a chance, and I haven't really formulated this thought much, but just think back to last season in the Texas game. Spencer Rattler was benched early in the game for making a couple boneheaded decisions turning the ball over and a lot of people praise Lincoln Riley for oh what a huge decision man and then they brought him back and you and I in this podcast we were like okay take a step back here guys OU is one and two they're not gonna win a national championship it's a first year quarterback against Texas it's not that difficult for Lincoln Riley to just bench the guy knowing that he can bring him back later in the game if he needs to they're not again. They're not going to win a national championship, <laughs> so like, there wasn't a whole lot of stakes in that OU Texas game. So I thought that was a little bit overrated. The reason I bring that up though is that was with Tanner Mordecai. By the way, shout out Tanner Mordecai. Apparently, he had a great debut with SMU last night. I saw he had seven touchdown passes. Okay, great, good for him. And Grant Calcaterra is there. Hopefully, he had a good game too. But then again, he, okay, did. he so had, last he year, had two Tanner, of those touchdowns. Oh, perfect, awesome. Point being, though, Rattler had Tanner Mordecai behind him last year. Now Rattler's got a blue-chip five-star Caleb Williams who all the reports are that he's 
been playing great in practice in fall camp, and he even came into the game and scored. A big thing about Oklahoma in the Alex Grinch era, obviously on defense, is competition. Every single rep matters because you could get your job taken. No one thinks that Spitzer Rattler is going to get his job taken. He's the quarterback. He's great. But uh, for the first time, I mean, granted, he's only started now. This is year two. He actually has a guy behind him that legitimately is good and could, could in theory, press him. So for Spencer Rattler, every single rap, rap, rep, I guess, should be good. Uh, he's not in danger of losing his job right now, but there's a, a much bigger, bigger chance of that happening, Whether even though it's still probably a very small chance than it was of last year when Tanner Mordecai was his backup. Got a, went a long way for that point, I know, I know. We still have three-word reviews to go here. Skip, you got plenty here. I'll go with one. I like uh, Tulane rattled Rattler. I like that one because, I mean, mentioned Rattler's statement about how that was a really tough, hard-hitting team. Uh, P23570, you got, you're always for some good three-word reviews. I kind of like this one. Season-defining victory? I guess in, in a year we'll find out. And you had more, I know, but we got to go fast here. <clears throat> You know, kudos to some of the super positive people like Mark, who says Boomer freaking sooner. <laughs> I mean, hey, a win's a win, right? Uh, Brian, I may have already done one from you, but this one stands out a little bit. Flashes, no consistency. Ooh, this is a good one. From Gary, the perfect storm. So Tulane related. Uh, I guess it depends on what you're thinking with that. I don't know if you're on the Twitter page. Have you seen any of these, Grant? Do you want to? No, I'm not. I'm not looking at them. But um, okay. Uh, how about this from Lucas? I hate everything. <laughs> Come on, man! Football's back. I guess uh, I definitely don't appreciate being relaxed at halftime and then not being relaxed for the second half. That sucks. Like that. Yeah. That's no fun. Mandy says one and O. Oh. Uh, Brady Kendrick says disappointed and concerned. <laughs> That's pretty blunt, but to the point. Again, tons of three word reviews on Twitter. Let me find. I'm going to find three more. How about Joseph? We should have lost. Extra negative with that one. All right, I gotta. I gotta give P two three five seven zero another a bit of love, and I think somebody else may have tweeted this one as well. But the water boy gif of Rob Schneider, we suck again. <laughs> it's always funny. Ah, man, okay, what's the last one going to be? It's got to be a good one here. Come on, come on. Eh, eh, no. No. Eh, you know what? How about this? And we talked about the defense for a lot in this podcast to start. This is from Tyler at Ah, underscore jabroni. <laughs> Tyler says, Tulane scored 35. I did not see that coming. 35 points against this Oklahoma defense, who we all think is going to be really, really good. I know the Tulane offense is good, but you predicted I think Tulane would score, what, 24? 24, and but not. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think like it would probably be. Probably some garbage, some garbage time scores probably thrown in there. Yeah, I predicted 14, 35. So I do not great. Yeah, like I, I do think Tulane is poised to have one of the better offenses in the group of five, um, just because Michael Pratt is really good. 
Um, he's he, he's going to win some games for them by himself. Uh, shit, he almost he almost did on Saturday. So um, uh, he turned it over a lot though. So I mean he's he's going to lose them some games too. But um, it's all just not great. It's all not great, especially especially when you go into a season thinking that you're a national title contender, and then you see you see kind of the four other teams that kind of consensus are your are are your most competition for those you know for that national title. See, Alabama is Alabama again. They didn't they don't miss a single beat, and they lost they lost like three Heisman Trophy finalists off their offense. Um, Georgia, Georgia's defense is unreal good. Um, they're they're going to have the best defense in college football this year. Uh, their offense still might not be great. They don't have a lot of they don't have a lot of skill position players on the outside that are good. Um, Clemson's defense is really good again. Um, uh, yeah, I, like I don't think Georgia even had over 200 yards of offense in that game. Um, and Ohio State's offense is amazing because because Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave are awesome. And um, I don't know. It's you you can kind of pick Stroud. out. The quarterback Stroud. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, we haven't got to that point. Yeah, C.J. Stroud is definitely gonna is gonna lose them a game this year for sure. But um, it was his first college start. Don't get me wrong. He was he definitely played a lot better in the second half. So I'll, I'll I'll cut him some slack. But it's he he wasn't a five. I just I assumed he was like a five star. Great. He he wasn't. He was a four star guy. Uh, anyways, that doesn't matter. Go ahead. Sorry, cut you off. No, I mean that's that's oh, pretty that's much it. Okay. It's just like you see. You see kind of what they're up against, and it's just like, man, man, they just looked like this. They looked like the same team that they did last year, and you know, not yeah. quite ready. And I think the disappointing part of of it last year is they flashed a they flashed a ceiling last season that we hadn't seen in a while. And so I think everyone just, I honestly don't understand how how they haven't just kind of picked up from there and and gone on or or. Ha- Crap, man! Maybe Tulane's about to go eleven and one and win the AAC and and go to a go to a New Year's Six game. Like I know for sure that's not going to happen, but maybe it will. <laughs> okay, uh, I lied. I have one more three word review that I think sums up a lot of this podcast that we'll go out on from John Grant from Twitter. John's three word review: drank the Kool Aid, and we'll leave it at that. We'll be back next week with a, geez, God help me, a Western Carolina preview. Yeah, that's, we'll just talk about what we've learned from, from the last couple of days. And we'll look ahead to the weekend. Western Carolina will make you eat, the, eat your words there, man. Yeah, you're right. Heck, what, what did I say in my opening take? I, I should think twice about laying a bunch of points when Oklahoma's uh, at home against a team that they're supposed to win a lot by. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about what happened in college football this week, and, and we'll get back with you guys later this week. Should be out by Thursday at the latest. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.